am Belinda Granger, former professional triathlete and the professional liaison for Challenge Family, and you're listening to a very special series of the official Challenge Family podcast. As the biggest triathlon event of the year is coming up soon, we decided to make a special series of podcasts interviewing some of the amazing pro athletes who will be racing at the 2020 PTO Championship at Challenge Daytona. In these podcasts, we'll be talking to some of the world's best long and short course athletes who will be battling it out for the $1 million prize purse. Before I introduce my first guest to the podcast, I have some amazing news for all of you. There is still time to register for Challenge Daytona so you can race on the same course as all of these incredible world-class athletes. There are events for the entire family from sprint to middle distance triathlon and aqua bike, sprint and middle distance duathlon, uh, there are junior races and even a 5-10k run. Just visit www.challenge/daytona.com to find all the information you need to register. Well, I think that's enough talking from my side. It's time for a coffee. And welcome back to Coffee Calls with Belinda. This is the special PTO Championship Challenge Daytona edition. And for the very first uh, podcast of this edition, um, I've got two very special guests with me today. Our Challenge Daytona defending champion, Paula Finlay, and her equally as incredible partner, Eric Lagerstrom. Welcome to the podcast, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, Belinda. Thanks. It's awesome to be here chatting with you. It seems like it's been forever. Like, I guess it's been exactly it, a year now, hasn't it? It, it will be. It, you know, and, and that's the thing. Every time I keep talking to people, it's, it's either been a year or longer um, since I've seen them face to face. So very very sad but also very exciting that we actually get this opportunity um so thank you both for talking to me i've i've been doing a lot of talking with a lot lot of athletes over the year um but first of all how are you both and probably more importantly where are you both right now uh we're doing well we're actually in canada right now in the very snowy alberta where i'm from so not exactly the ideal preparation for a race in Florida, but we've been in Oregon all year, um, kind of anticipating maybe doing a race. But as soon as the forest fires got really bad in Oregon, we decided to come back to Canada. I hadn't seen my family for 10 months. So it was, we, I was wow. due for a visit. And so we decided just to tough out the two week quarantine. And now we're up here. I've been in a really good headspace just because I've been able to hang out with my sister and brother and see my mom and dad. So, Although the cold makes it challenging to train, it's been a really good place to be for for me anyway. And Eric's along for the ride, so. <laughs> <laughs> and and of course, Paulia, you said you, you're um, from Canada. It, that's a long time to not see family, so I can only imagine how great it feels to finally be back there with them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm pretty close to my family, and I usually travel home at least four or five times a year. So. Since last Christmas, I hadn't returned to Canada just because if races were then put on the schedule, I'd have to quarantine, travel back and forth. So it just made sense to stay put in one spot. But as races were looking less likely in September, we decided to come up here. Um, although it, it looks like it'll be fairly smooth to get to Daytona. So um, as long as we can tough out riding the trainer for one more month, we'll be good to go for that. <laughs> we'll be good to go. I love it. I think the trainer's become every every professional athlete's best, best friend over these uh, last eight or nine months, that's for sure. Yes, absolutely. Um, now, Paula, you are currently ranked 15th on the, on the PTO rankings, and Eric, you are ranked 70th. You, obviously, Paula, you have automatically qualified for the PTO championships in Daytona. 
um, of course, because they took the top 40. And Eric, you have just missed out. I mean, being 70, we did, did roll down a fair way. But of course, you ended up receiving a special invite from Challenge Daytona. Um, I think they fell in love with you last year. And, of course, after what happened, you had a little <laughs> bit of a mishap before the race or during the race, I should say, with um, yeah. a slipped seat post. It was a unfortunate situation, but one that was completely out of your control. Um, but amazing how you took it you took it on the, on the chin and stayed out there and just, you know, gave so much support on race day and also leading into the race. So, you know, the special invite was very well deserved. But are, are you looking forward to this race or is there a little bit of trepidation? I mean, obviously, it must be weird to have one of the first races that you'll do this season being such an enormous event. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, it, it was last December that we last raced in Daytona. So there's something kind of cool about returning to the exact same location again. And not a lot of people – I mean, it was a much smaller field last year. So I think there's some yeah, advantage having – knowing kind of how the – track is laid out and the swim what that is like so a little bit of an advantage that way just having been there and knowing you know where the hotel is relative to the racetrack and you know returning to a race always makes it a little bit easier but Eric can talk about the uh the long break from racing I guess so this will be your first race this this will be your first race you've done since Daytona or you have you raced yeah, yeah, it will be our first race. We did a sort of a mock race kind of thing with some friends, some other pros in Bend uh, when we were there during the summer. And so we had a little bit of a, you know, a go hard for four hours type of an effort. And that was great to do that. But, you know, you're it's a much different um, level of intensity with like transitions <laughs> so and, and everything. We were kind of chatting as we walked through transition and stuff. So the, yeah, this will be the first time that either of us have... Uh, hit uh, certainly a field of this caliber it looks you know incredible when you look down the start list so. yeah and of course it, it's a slightly different distance to what you guys raced uh challenge daytona last year this year of course it's two kilometers 80 kilometers 18 uh mm -hmm. equal so 100 kilometers all up so a little bit longer but probably still still n not the distance that most long distance athletes would would like or would feel comfortable with um, and then, of course, for our short course athletes, it's a little longer than what they would normally be used to. Um, right. Now, I've been told stories. Some of the athletes that are preparing for this race have been heading to the velodrome. Like you just said, Paula, you guys, I think anyone that's raced at Challenge Daytona before, of course, we've had two editions of Challenge Daytona. Uh, you were both there last year. I think there is definitely, definitely an advantage uh, knowing that the race set up, having had an opportunity to race on the track. It's completely different to, to racing on the road, that's for sure. Um, have you, uh, obviously you're in Canada now, but do you, have you been setting up your sessions specifically for this distance or have you been tweaking your, your training uh, for the distance or just keeping things as, um, as usual? Yeah, our, our coach Paulo Sousa coaches a lot of ITU athletes and actually our training is quite similar to theirs. So I feel like on the spectrum of training for long course athletes, we're fairly similar to what a, an Olympic distance athlete would train for. So from that right, perspective, right. we haven't had to train uh, to change a lot about our training. Um, we are kind of treating it as a 70.3 distance. It's so close to that, that you kind of do have to be prepared for that, that kind of distance to do well at, in this race. And the monotony of the track, um, I think, suits training on the trainer really well since we're just kind of sitting in our true, bars, true. grinding it out for hours a day. So that kind of riding is kind of what will um, suit the type of riding in Daytona. It's not overly technical, but you just have to be as aero as possible for 
the entire time. So a little bit longer than last year, although since we've raced both Olympic distance and 70.3, I think the distance suits us well. I always prefer a little bit shorter race than a 70.3. So I'll <laughs> yeah, take the yeah. less bike kilometers any day. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it'll feel similar, especially not having done a 70.3 for over a year. It, um, it'll feel long <laughs> for sure. Yeah, Actually, that's, a, that's an interesting point. Go ahead. Last 10. Yeah, and I just think it's an interesting point because a lot of people might not realize, um, or a lot of our listeners, that you guys are, are, are actually from an ITU or a short course background, then you've moved into the long course. So I think that's even a, another advantage that you've both got. You know what it takes to race against these short course um, men and women, but you also know what it takes to race the longer distances. So is that something you're, you're both taking into the race? Yeah, I'd say for sure. Um, I, I think, you know, if you talk to somebody who's a, a pure long course athlete and they come up against a short course athlete and, you know, they, if they have to do an Olympic distance race or something, they're pretty shocked at just like how fast yeah, you run yeah, through yeah. transitions, how fast people take off on the bike with like complete reckless abandon for how long the race is. <laughs> so exactly. being able to know that like that's what's going to come out of the short course athletes and that'll probably influence how the race is paced overall and then and not being flustered by that, I think will be would be pretty critical. Yeah. I think it's both, it's been a couple of years since either of us has have raced ITU. And I think even that game is constantly evolving, like the levels higher than when we were in the, in that, uh, that type of racing. So I think the swim will definitely be super fast. And like Eric said, the transitions are just going to be like insanely fast, which long course athletes aren't necessarily used to. So just being prepared for that, um, and yeah. coming from a background of ITU, we are pretty fast at transition, so yeah, we'll be absolutely. ready. But yeah, it's definitely like an additional factor that um, maybe the more like long course purists won't necessarily be used to. And, you know, obviously the, the, the official field hasn't been announced as yet, but of course I've, I've seen it on paper. Um, we've got the top 40 PTO ranked athletes. You've got 10 uh, wild cards that uh, PTO gave out, plus this eight special invites that we are currently announcing now um, on social media from Challenge Daytona. Mm-hmm. But needless to say, it's an incredible field and one that I certainly, in my lifetime uh, in the sport, I haven't seen before where we've got the best short course athletes from around the world versus the best long course athletes. And then, of course, we've got the special athletes like yourselves that have been lucky enough to excel over both distances um but have you ever have you ever been in a race where you've got so many of our best short course athletes going against going up against our best long course athletes yeah i i I would say uh world championships in nice last year was the closest thing that i've seen to it in 70.3 um because it was like kind of well-timed with the world championship series of, of ITU where a couple of the best athletes from that were able to come and do in Nice as well. And that's where we saw, you know, Gustav Eden uh, come out of nowhere, quote unquote, and, yeah. and win the whole yeah. thing. So I think there weren't as many Ironman athletes, Ironman superstars at that event is that they're going to be at, yeah. the, at this. So I think it's going to be very, very fascinating. Like you said, covering three different distances instead of ultimately kind of two. Yeah, last for sure. Year. Yeah. No, I agree. And I mean, obviously, last year, Paula, you had that phenomenal battle um, up against Lucy Charles Barclay. And then, of course, in the men's race, we had Lionel Sanders and Pablo de Pina. Um, mm-hmm. Another epic battle, you know, but that's just one athlete against one athlete. But I have a feeling this year it's going to be just just a touch different, just a little different. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think last year was unique because it was so late in the year after a long season of racing. And 
you know, it, uh, not everybody wants to race all the way till December. Whereas this year, we have no idea where anyone's at. And this is definitely most athletes target race for the season. So everyone's buildup is going to be a bit different and everyone's going to be targeting it. And nobody's raced much this year. So theoretically, everyone's going to be a little fresher. So definitely will be very different from last year in terms of just the, the style of the race and the race dynamics and everything. But, uh, like we said, I think it's it's nice for us knowing what to expect in terms of just the course in general. So we're ready for a much more faster, competitive, kind of more hectic, I think. Like that's what I think of when I hectic. imagine. I think 60 that's a very the that's a very athletes. good word, hectic. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be hectic. Yeah. Um and yeah, it's a it's a it's a good distance. So being from Australia, that distance, that's what I grew up on. So when I first uh, moved to long distance racing um, the 280, it was actually 280.20 when I was racing. That was, the, that was considered a uh, middle distance or half distance race back oh, in the wow. day. Um, and we do have a race here that's coming up in a couple of weeks' time up in Harvey Bay. It's called the Harvey Bay 100 and it's exactly the same distance as Daytona, so 280 oh, cool. and 18. So it's, it's a distance that, that Australian athletes are quite used to. But I, I think it is quite a unique distance um, for Americans and Canadians and, of course, for all the European athletes that are coming across to the States for the race. Um, do yeah. you think it's it's going to be that different? I mean, it's it's 10K shorter on the bike. It's 3K shorter on the run. Um, uh, but it's a longest, but it's a, lo- a slightly longer swim. So a lot of people are saying that that's going to be an advantage for, for our short course um, athletes, but it's still an 80k bike ride, and we're talking about athletes that are used to racing. Our IT to you athletes used to racing over 40 kilometers, so sometimes only over 20. So, do you think it's going to be a hard slog for some of these short course athletes that have never ever raced anything longer than Olympic distance? Um, I think so. I mean, it, definitely having 10k less on the bike will be to most of their advantage, just in terms of they're not used to riding aero bikes. They train a very mm. different way, so. Anything less than 90 is probably good for them. And then having the extra 200 meters in the swim is also, you know, an extra two and a half to three minutes advantage that they may have. So I I think for myself, I don't think it'll feel much different. Um, Usually around 70 or 80K on the bike is when I wish it was over. So I think it won't be bad. (laughs) And then I... I prefer like a 10K run and a 5K run. So having it 18 versus 21, I think those 3K will make a big difference in terms of just the overall speed of the race and everyone's aggressiveness going out on the run, knowing that there's um, three less kilometers to cover than they normally would. So yeah, certainly it'll like, I think get everyone going a little harder, even though it's not actually that different <laughs> from a 70.3 distance. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Usually like the last 10K of the bike and the last 3K of the run, everybody's just blowing up because they paced incorrectly. So (laughs) I I doubt the the bell curve of how people pace is going to change at all. But, you know, it might save a couple of people who would have otherwise like been walking or something from just going out insanely hard. Insanely hard. And and I still have a feeling, Eric, that that we're going to have a few few of our short course uh men and women that maybe do go out that just that like you said that touch too hard and do end up um walking or, or at least not running to their uh, capabilities towards the end but you know that's that's yeah we can only part hope of the so. fun of this <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> hey believe me i mean i love the concept and i love having our short course athletes um coming along but of course you know i'm a, I'm a long distance athlete by heart so I've, of course i'm on team <laughs> team, team long course, <laughs> team long course yeah. um yeah absolutely um and so 
obviously the swim is going to be crucial, whereas for most long-distance athletes, although that is changing as some of our short-course athletes do move up to long-course, I know, um, for example, since you both moved up to long-course, coming from short-course backgrounds, being such great swimmers, um, you are part of the reason that, that you've changed the face of, of middle distance, what we call middle distance racing, because you are such great swimmers. Um, back in the day when I was racing, even over half distance, the swim was still the least important leg of all three. But now, um, you know, if you cannot get out of the swim in that lead pack, even if you've got uh, 90k and 21k, unless you're the likes of Lionel Sanders, who's, you know, just a cycling machine, um, you you are in trouble because you you've missed the boats so to speak so yeah. do you think it's going to be absolutely crucial i don't know i mean obviously not leading the swim but you're going to have to be out in that main pack and that main pack is going to be on fire i think this yeah. year Daytona. Yeah. for sure i think the swim um i mean still in 70.3 most most races you can get away with not a great swim and catch up on the bike mm. but i think it'll be different in this race just because of the dynamic of the of the racetrack and bridging gaps is going to be really difficult i've heard there's a 20 meter draft rule so that's amazing correct, so there'll correct. be less like yeah. trains and packs going around but i think it'll just make it that much more spaced out so if you're you know three or four minutes back out of the water it'll be that much more difficult to to bridge up so yeah. certainly with the itu athletes there making the front end of the race that much quicker coming out of the water um it'll be even more difficult than usual to make up time on the bike, although not impossible. Like you said, Lionel probably will have no issue. <laughs> I think another thing that's going to contribute, I think another thing that will contribute to it as well is that it's essentially, I don't know how many turns, but it's a whole bunch of left turns and just like running on the yeah. track, you know, if you're trying to pass somebody, you're going to have to be not only putting out 25, 30% more watts just to go faster than them, but then also another 10, 15% on top of that to overcome the distance extra that you're going around the outside of the corner. Like, it's uh, man if you if you have to make some passes those are going to be hard passes yeah, yeah they are sure. and and there's definitely going to have to be some tactics involved in that and we've um we have actually been discussing that uh, a lot you know how are we going to how we're going to do this we're definitely adamant the 20 meter rule was the only rule that we could have mm-hmm. um but then you know obviously if you if you have got a, a small pack um and i don't like to use the pack because if they're at 20 meters it's not a pack but a line a small pace line up front and someone the likes of Sebastian Kinlay or Lionel Sanders or even Sam Long, um, you know, if they're trying to chase, and we know they will be chasing because they cannot swim with these lead men, um, it is going to be very, very difficult for them to to not just catch these but then to, to pass. And so we've been looking at uh, how, how many seconds do we give these athletes to actually make the pass and to get to the front because, like you said, to make the pass, not only are they having to catch these athletes but they're also having to ride a little bit further because they're obviously further yeah, up the yeah. track so yeah, there's sure. a lot there, there's been a lot go into it so it's um yeah it, it's going to be good but I, I, we were all adamant that 20 meter rule was the only rule to go to make it a fair race for everyone um, yeah i agree certainly the I'm, I'm on the athlete board for the pto so i've been involved with all the emails back and forth discussing the potential rules and i yes. agree that keeping it as simple as possible with the 20 simple. meters and two meters and um Lionel mentioned at one point that um, we're imagining these big packs forming, but because there's such a big gap, I don't think that will necessarily happen because there is quite a discrepancy in like ability on the bike, especially later in the race. So I don't necessarily think there's going to be 40 guys all in a row. I think big gaps will form because there's no advantage of drafting at all. So um, it'll be really interesting to see, but I don't, you know, I think once the race starts, it'll just kind of happen. And as long as the refs are, 
pretty stern about the, Doing the, the drafting rules. Yep. Um, it will be a clean race and the best cyclist will be able to catch up regardless of, <laughs> of what the rules are. So no, I, yeah. I totally agree with you, Paula. And we've seen it in play. Um, you know, our race every year, the championship in Samarin in, at Expo and Exphere, we, we employed the 20 meter rule and it works beautifully. And yeah. you find that the strong cyclists are the ones that are up the front. Um, and you're right, as long as it's, it's, managed properly the 20 meters i'm i'm totally with you i do not think we're going to see big groups 20 meters is a long way um yeah and it and and there is no drafting advantage whatsoever so i think yeah definitely going to find that there'll be small groups very small but um but definitely no no big packs i think people are thinking because we've got so many great itu athletes that it's going to be looking like an itu race but it's not going to be anything like that maybe maybe for the first couple of laps just till people sort themselves out but once once that 20 metres is in play, um, those the weaker cyclists, there's no way they're going to be able to stay with some of those stronger, stronger yeah, cyclists. Yeah, yeah. I think it'll be important too. I think there was mention of putting like cones on the course, marking 20 metres yes. just so that there's a bit yes. of a visual because I personally don't Absolutely. know what that looks like. And people no, that a haven't lot of raced, people don't. Yeah, yeah, ITU athletes or if you've only done Ironman events where there's a, a smaller draft zone, then it's hard to tell. So yeah, just for like, help for athletes like me um, I think it'll be good to have a visual just to be able to make sure we don't break the no <laughs> I totally agree and that's something that we d- we did at the at the championship event as well in Slovakia is, yeah. is along the course several times um, we'd have the 20 meters marked out so people could actually keep a check on themselves right, um, right. so that's something that we're definitely going to do on the track and the great thing about being on that track is that you know you, you pass the same place so many times so we don't even need yeah. to set it up once or twice and I think each lap on the track is about four and a half kilometres. So one thing that we were talking about and discussing, and I'd love to get your both your opinion here, um, particularly yours, Eric, just because the men's race, there's a chance that things could be a little closer than, than possible, uh, than, than the women's race. Um, it's a two-lap swim. There is a chance, um, a strong possibility, that uh, the lead men out of the swim could possibly almost have a lap on the bike done before our, our slower swimmers um, jump on the bike. Do you think that's possible? So it's a four and a half kilometre lap on the track and we're trying to work out what the time gap could possibly be t- between our fastest swimmers and our slowest swimmers and yeah. whether or not they could get a lap done. So technically be a lap up. Man, I mean, that, that would have, if we were going 60 kilometres an hour, that would be four so, and a half minutes, right? So Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Man, if if somebody's five minutes back, you know, assuming everybody's going 47, 48 kilometers an hour, I mean, I I feel like that's unlikely and and they are just having the worst, worst day. Worst day ever. (laughs) Good. Because, you know, obviously we we start overanalyzing. We're like, oh, but what happens if, if this occurs and what do we do? But I think, like Paula said, I think it gets to a point where you start overanalyzing and overthinking it yeah. all. When we just yeah. should just go back to basics, let the athletes race; they're the experts; they know what they're doing, um, and the race will sort itself out. Yeah. yeah, I think also last year the men, men and women raced at the same time, and there was no issue with the men just going wide of us no. and passing. So if it does no. happen, maybe not at the first lap, but I do think there could be lapped athletes like towards the middle of or end of the bike. Um, just sure, because sure. of, you know, guys like Lionel there. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> but I don't think it's necessarily a problem to, you know, move over and go around them. That's what happened last year several times when Lionel flew by 
me and Lucy and uh, Lisa. So it's not necessarily a problem, I don't think. There's lots of room on that track. People are probably imagining it like a velodrome, but when they see it, exactly, it is so exactly, big. Paula. It's staggeringly yeah. large. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. And I remember being, I remember walking and almost falling over because it's so banked, walking right to the top of the track and looking down. And right. it, it, it felt like a six-lane superhighway. So it's, yeah, um, it's huge. I think you're dead right. You've hit the nail on the head there. I think a lot of people are thinking, oh, it's just an indoor track. It's like a, a large velodrome, but it's, it's anything but. It's huge. And there's yeah, definitely it's a plenty of room to pass. Yeah, it's a highway. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> oh, and now, guys, what did you think of Lionel's effort? I mean, talking, we've, we've spoken about Lionel a few times, obviously, or mentioned his name. Um, what did you think about his effort the other week on the track? It was pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. It was super impressive. I don't think we really knew how close he was going to be just because if you'd watched one of his earlier videos, it seemed like it, uh, it was going to be closer than it was, but it was pretty, um, clear after only a few minutes that he was going to destroy the previous Canadian record. And we, Uh we watched it while riding the trainers ourselves and it was, it was inspirational. It was very cool just to see somebody very focused on the thing, go after it, say they were going to go after it and execute. And yeah, the production was also quite amazing. They, you know, the broadcast, having the interviews and, um, having it at the velodrome in Milton, which is where the Pan American games were in 2015. There's obviously a good, uh, setup with cameras and stuff to be able to see the entire track. So I'm sure everyone watched it. You could see him the entire way. And, I think it's really cool for Lionel because that kind of training is probably really applicable to training for Daytona. So yes, he didn't, absolutely. he probably didn't have to change much in terms of his, his bike work focus and things like that. Um, I don't know much from like a coaching or scientific standpoint, but it definitely suited his preparation for Daytona, which I think is also really cool. No, I agree. And I think coming back as defending champ, I, I, I'm sure he's under no illusion that it's going to be a, a completely different race this year, but I think he is still going into challenge daytona this year with with wanting to win it and wanting to defend his title i just i know he's got a he's got a lot of work to do and a, and a massive field to overcome but do you think eric that it, it's still possible what what are your thoughts do you think that it's a short that a short course athlete's going to take this race out or it will be a long course athlete oh i don't know i think that's that's really uh, like Paula was saying earlier, you know, everybody's preparation has been so all over the map and everything. Uh, you know, if, if we just knew everybody was as fit as they've ever been, I'd say that, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it would, I would probably lean towards a short course athlete, like one of the Norwegians or at, at least a 70.3 specialist. I think Lionel, yeah. like regardless is just going to have a pretty hard time or people like Lionel, like you mentioned, um, Sam, I think that type of person is really going to struggle to get through the traffic in my mind and catch up and without that last 10 K's on the bike. And then the run is going to be so fast, you know, like if you've had to go full gas just to like get within shouting distance of the front of the race and then everybody gets off the bike and goes out like it's a 10 K run. Um, you know i think the one exception to that would be is if the the front pack has a struggles with getting the dynamic right and who's leading and who's you know like i was saying yeah if if you've got like a strongish rider who's in fourth but really can't contribute because they can't pass the three people in front of them because of that 20 meter rule and the curves then sometimes that can cause that lead pack to slow down and if that happens then that'll obviously play into the hands of the guys coming from behind Mm-hmm. So the Sebastian so, Kinleys and yeah. Yeah, the slower, it'll be, yeah, slower it'll be swimmers. It'll be very, very interesting. It'll be very interesting. Well, that's, that's what we're hoping for, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I know, and, and I love how we've set it up, of course, this year for our listeners. 
Uh, we have the women starting first, and I, I think we've worked it out time-wise that you know, the men's race won't start um, until the women's race, till at least the women are off the bike. Um, but I think they're even holding it off a little longer, so the majority of the women may even be finished before the men's race starts. So yeah, it'll nice. be perfect, perfect timing for you, Paula, to um, <laughs> yeah, sit that's back. great. It's you kind of interesting. In- on the women's side, because a lot of the ITU athletes that are coming to race have never even done a 70.3 or maybe just never. one. Exactly, so exactly. On the men's side, you have Gustav and um, Christian Blumenfeld Christian, and you Alistair. know all these Alistair. They've all done 70.3. Yep. So although they're exactly. short course athletes, they're also 70.3 specialists. So true, the women's race true. will be a, a much more of a question mark. Obviously, Flora Duffy has it in her to win this race but also hasn't been training on a tt bike as much as um no. someone like holly so yeah it, it's going to be super interesting on the women's side too just from like a huge unknown perspective and that's you've just raised a really good point so obviously flora duffy is definitely an athlete that we're all looking for uh, looking to to do well she's phenomenal over all distances um but you're right and people like Jessica Learmonth, who's doing it, who's, I'm assuming, never raced over this distance before. Jodie Stimson, who's, had, who's just started to do a few half-distance races. But you're, these ladies are used to being on road bikes in the ITU. They're not on these time trials. And let's be honest, in the 20 laps you're going to be doing around the track, um, you don't have to get off your aero bars once. And yeah. so for athletes that haven't trained that for, for two hours plus... Um, that, can, that in itself can lead to all sorts of interesting issues getting off the bike. I mean, it's not very well for us to say, oh, yeah, they're going to get off the bike and they're going to smash that first 10K. What happens if they get off the bike and they can't move because their backs have seized up right. or their hamstrings exactly. are shot? And, yeah, yeah. you know, we, we know that can happen. And, and, again, you guys have got such an advantage because, one, you're so used to being on time trial bikes and, and riding down in that aero position for a long periods of time. Um, but you've also been on the track, so you know what it's like that as well. Whereas a lot of yeah. people are coming to, on this track for the first time, never having been, having been on a track before. Totally, yeah. I think yeah. you're right. I think riding TT position, I mean, even I still feel like I'm learning it, and I've been doing it for two or three years now. So it is very different, and to just pick one up three weeks before the race and start yes, training yeah. on it is 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 hard. But I I also not think ideal, a lot of these ideal. a lot of these athletes are focused on Tokyo next year as well, and. Um, they are obviously taking this very seriously, but they're, uh, they do have their big goal in mind next year as well. So it'll be interesting, like after Tokyo too, to see how many of these athletes like transfer over more permanently to longer distance and yeah. if they like distance. it. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, how many of them are so scarred they never want to touch it again. again. <laughs> yeah. Eric, I have a feeling there's going to be a few of those. Um, and speaking of, of, of them, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but um, we've got the Brownlee brothers. Obviously that's, one of the biggest draw cards to this race. We know Ali's obviously now classified as a long distance athlete. You know, he's, he's raced over the full distance and half distance. He's brilliant at um, the half distance, but his brother, Johnny. Now I'm not a hundred percent sure if Jonathan's ever raced anything longer than Olympic distance. I know he's, he's certainly done some longer distance training, but whether he's actually raced, I, I'm not sure he has. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see the two boys, the two brothers, lining up over this distance um how do you think he's going to go i don't know it, it, that's a really hard one to call i feel like he always does better in races where alistair is racing like i think the, true, the two of them true. feed off of uh the brotherly energy or whatever you want to call it um but <laughs> no, I, don't, I totally agree 
Tally I, I don't think he'll have like let's say the the two of them are riding one and two. I, I can't like necessarily see Johnny making a huge impact on the pace no. versus like being there, being in it, taking cues from Alistair, and then obviously running pretty well. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. It'll, it'll be interesting. I, as far as the ITU athletes go, I'm definitely like a little more concerned about the Norwegians and the guys who yes, have, yes. uh, proven themselves already over that distance. But, but also to your point, like riding arrow the entire time. Nice last year was a whole bunch of it sitting up and then descending. Exactly. It was, it was much exactly. different That's dynamic. That's completely different. Yeah. And I think so. that was definitely an advantage for our shorter course athletes because they weren't staying down in that arrow position. Yeah. I, I watch Hawaii every year and every year you see... You know, and these are these are men and women that have been training in the aero position for hours on end. And I know when I used to race it, I'd still get off that bike and oh, just been down that aero bar position for so long. <laughs> it's I just so think brutal about to watch on just, television. Oh, like when we watch you guys do that on television, we get sick. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it hurt. It looks so painful. It's horrible. I don't know if any amount of training can ever get you prepared for that. But but I I I, I think no. even though. We're talking, but we're talking about long course athletes here, so of course they should be used to it. But it's the same thing because these short course athletes just aren't used to being down in that position for that long. And like you said, Nice was in and out of the saddle. It was quite a lot of climbing. It was a lot of descending. Um, whereas this is just round and round and round and round for 20 laps. So it's mm-hmm. going to be a, 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 lot lot of, a lot different. For sure. Um, another athlete I wanted to talk to you about, uh, Eric, is... Javier Gomez, obviously now he is an older athlete, um, still phenomenal, of course, always will be, and definitely um, is still sort of keeping his toe in short course, but is definitely concentrating on long course. Um, To me, I still think he is definitely going in as one of the favourites as well. Uh, Do you agree or you you still think that Gustav Eiden and Christian Blumenfeld um, have got a little bit more of an advantage, just being that touch younger uh, I think Javier's got the experience um, over the over those boys, but it'll be an, an interesting to see. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I guess I hadn't uh, brought up Javier's name because I don't, yeah, necessarily classify him as a short course athlete anymore, even though he no, has the true, ability true. to jump in any to short course yeah. race and and do um, phenomenally well. I I, th- I do think he'll be really he'll be really good. I think. It sounds ridiculous for me to talk about Javier Gomez, like analyzing his abilities, but I, I, <laughs> I think like the only times We're I've seen to. him, yeah, the only times I've seen him struggle in, in races is where there's huge accelerations. I feel like he's a very yeah, okay. diesel yeah. version of a short course athlete, so I think this will favor him pretty well. And that it's just like get on the red line, sit there, and be uncomfortable. Like he's he's the king of that, and then yeah. we all know he can. He's just the best runner over this distance, you know, um, with the, you know, with the exception of maybe Jan when he's on the best day and running so fast that he breaks his pelvis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Think, oh my gosh. Yeah. Javier yeah. will be phenomenal. Um, if he's, you know, prepared and ready and everything. Yeah. It, it's interesting. You pick up Jan's name because obviously, you know, the race, we, we won't have any Daniela Riff. We won't have any Lucy Charles Barclay and we won't have Jan Fredino. Um, all three athletes have had to decline. Um, oh, Jan's not coming now. No, no Jan's oh, not coming because of injury. I... So, but, but in saying that, so those, not, under normal circumstances, we'd be devastated. I mean, obviously, they're the th- three phenomenal athletes, amazing for our sport. Um, but it sort of opens it up a little bit more. So, yeah. you know, I, I know, you know, obviously, when Jan comes into Tacona every year, you can see all the men sort of, well, are we going for first? Or are we going for second here? And, and you know, he's just, he's that good. 
Um, mm. So now not having him on the start line, in some ways it just it, it makes it even more exciting because now I just do, really do not think that there's a, a de- not, not that there's ever a definite, I mean obviously it's still a race and anything can happen, um, but it does make it just that little bit more exciting because I don't think we have a standout absolute standout favorite to take it so um yeah, yeah. so you didn't realize now Jan, Jan um because of his crash he's just not going to be ready in time gotcha so gotcha he's yeah i think not having pin. yeah i think not having him there basically just is going to change the mindset of a lot of people like you said they have true, a bunch true, more people true. with like some big ambitions versus like oh, i'm just going to like try to hang with Jan or whatever if i, as long as I can <laughs> and see what happens you know so it, i think yeah that'll yeah, make yeah. That'll make things a bit, like you said, more chaotic because everybody tries to figure out what's going on. <laughs> and, and, of course, I mean, the same could be said for the, the women's race without Daniela. I mean, she was phenomenal last year in Nice. She's an amazing athlete and, and, and Lucy as well. So having, and, of course, they're ranked number one and two on the PTO rankings right now, but we've got pretty much every other athlete bar those two um, racing mm-hmm. in Daytona. Plus, of course, you throw in a little bit of extra spice with our short course specialists. So... Again, yeah. I still don't think there's a standout in the women's race either. Not necessarily. I think there's like 10 girls who could win or maybe even 20 girls. <laughs> and again, yeah. it's just like such a crazy year. We haven't seen anyone race uh, aside from some of the ITU athletes. So I really have no predictions. Um, I mean, yeah, it's hard to – it. Yeah, Daniela not being there is um, – doesn't change the way that like I'll race necessarily. No, of course not. <laughs> Still of course have to not, go all out the whole time. Um, so I wish they were there, but yeah, that's it's pretty amazing that so many people are are able to to come and are training hard for it right now. So yeah, It'll and, be and, and, and I think that's going to be the hardest thing of all. It's it's not the race day itself. It's actually you know getting all the athletes uh, into Daytona safe and sound logistics. and um, obviously yeah. logistics. Yeah. Yes. That's been my life yeah. for the last couple of months. Yeah. Logistics. <laughs> I actually, I actually have a question for you on that. I'm, I'm curious what the level of lockdown is going to be with the athletes. You know, we've seen like the NFL and the, uh, NHL mm. do these like living in a bubble playing games and everything. And I'm, I'm curious what, how intense that'll be since you almost do have like a ready-made bubble there with the Daytona race. True. And, and, and to be brutally honest, Eric, I, I think that is the, the main reason that this particular race, such a big race, has been able to go ahead. Um, obviously, we've seen races cancelled left, right and centre all around the world. All the big races, particularly, you know, the Ironman and Challenge events have been cancelled um, right. because they just are deemed to be. I mean, one of the biggest races, Challenge Roth, this year was cancelled um, because of COVID and understandably so. And the only reason that I think we've been able to put this together and it's been able to, to, to go ahead is because, and you know being there last year, it really is a little Daytona bubble. Um, yeah. The racetrack is only going to be open for the athletes. Um, there is going to be COVID testing, so every single athlete before they're allowed to go into the racetrack itself um, has to be co- tested um, and, of course, has to come back negative. And then with the hotels, all the athletes will be in just those two hotels, the Fairfield, the Daytona, um, and... Again, we've been very cautious about who is able to be with each athlete. Um, each athlete's been allowed to have one person travel with them and one only, um, and that particular person must share the hotel room. So we're keeping it as as safe as we possibly can. It's something that, they, that they've been thinking about and nothing out for months and months and months and, and continuing to do it all the way up um, to race day. But it's going to be a lot different to... Uh, 
last year's race, uh, that's for sure. I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, obviously, last year we were still, it was still a great event. It was a very safe event, but it was back in a day when, you know, we didn't even think about um, social distancing or, or um, COVID. I mean, it wasn't even a word that existed, um, right. even, though right. it was even though it was probably going on and we didn't even realise it at that point in time. Yeah, um, right. But now, yeah, all the protocols they have got in place are, are quite remarkable. And again, I think if it was at any other race venue, it probably would not be possible. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what we figured. It was going to be a very like bubble type um, safe yes. environment. So that's why we feel safe coming because we don't necessarily, yes. we haven't traveled much no. at all this year, but coming to a place like this where we know there's like precautions in place makes us feel better about, about traveling there. So... Yeah, and, you know, it is a big decision. And I know when we, we handed out the invites and there were some athletes that declined and no questions asked because I think this is something that it's a decision you have to make on your own, um, yeah. with oh, on your own, but with family and friends. And I know travelling from Australia, it's it's a huge task. I mean, we have to first get permission to leave the country and there has to be a good enough reason for that to occur. And then, of course, when we come home, we have to sit a two-week compulsory quarantine and we don't get a choice where we get put in a hotel. Um, yeah. We can't do it at home. So, which I know is similar to, to other countries. New Zealand has the same procedures. When you quarantine, you were talking earlier today about, uh, in the interview, about when you went to Canada from the States, you had to quarantine. Did you, was that home quarantine or was that actually quarantine in a particular place? No, in Canada, you can quarantine at home. Um, we were pretty spoiled. I mean, it was not rough at all. We, My parents no. have a place in Canmore, so we had that to ourselves basically my sister was oh, delivering perfect. groceries so we didn't have any contact with my parents they're in Edmonton but we did have sort of like a home environment and someone came and walked the dog Fabulous. every day and so it it wasn't rough at all I mean I it's I feel for you guys in Australia who have to do the, oh. the government quarantine so we can't complain <laughs> yeah I think the one no. stipulation with it is that they don't really want you quarantining with your family versus in a yes. very secluded, you know, a mother-in-law suite or a guest a basement, house, something, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just come in and hug your mom and then she goes to the grocery store, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, no, that's true. And I know uh, when I spoke to Lucy Charles earlier this year, we were talking about that and they basically, um, her and Reese had qu quarantined themselves downstairs in a basement where they were completely separated from family and, yeah. and friends. And, and it makes sense. And I think um, the funny thing with Australians is the reason that, that the whole hotel quarantine um, ended up coming into play is because exactly what you said too many Australians were were uh, fudging the rules and staying and, and having friends come over or family come over and it really was defeating the whole purpose of home quarantine yeah, so exactly. we had to get rid of that pretty quickly so it, yeah, it's yeah. a bit of a bit of a bummer but yeah and I, I think now the di most difficult thing for us is just um, the athletes from Europe obviously Europe's going through a second wave right now and I know Germany's just gone into into a uh, two-week lockdown as has France. So it is difficult, but um, yeah, the, the precautions we're taking, every single one of those athletes before they actually get on a plane have to have had a COVID test done. So when they get off the plane, they have to show a negative test. Um, once they arrive at the hotel, they will be tested again. Um, and every single athlete will have a test come back before they are uh, physically allowed to enter the track. So Definitely um, the Challenge Daytona team have thought about this. And the greatest thing, that advantage we've got with Challenge Daytona is that they're able to use all of the protocols um, that NASCAR have employed. And, of course, they have, NASCAR has the big international race there every year. So they've already been through this and, 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 and put it into play, practice into play. So it's, 
we're just we're lucky that we can um we can follow and have all of the protocols that they've had in place and just use it for the triathletes which is yeah yeah that's awesome now are you guys planning on staying in canada all the way up to daytona or will you come back to the states a little bit earlier or come just just race week um we actually we may do texas 70.3 if it happens on november 22nd just to have a race you know, Absolutely. in our legs before the event. Yep. Um, but that's all kind of tentative. We have flights booked, but are, they're all cancelable. And we kind of have contingency plans if stuff's cancelled. So um, Daytona is obviously our number one priority. And we may yeah. travel down early. And the plus side of that also is being able to train in the warm for a little bit before the race and not be in the cold. So we have about three more weeks up here in the snow. And then um, we'll head back to the U.S. and come back here after Daytona for Christmas. So... That's oh, our plan. Perfect. No, yeah. That sounds like a great plan. And you're right. I mean, I know there's quite a few athletes that are, or the long course athletes that are planning to do Ironman Florida fairly soon yeah. uh, and yeah. then back up for Daytona, which, you know, for a long course athlete, normally that's a, that's a no brainer. It's easy. But I just, I'm just not sure how it's going to, to go down when we're talking about needing to be at your absolute freshest um, with really sharp. Yeah, I think doing an Ironman. Yeah, I'm not sure. Totally, but, you know, yeah. Doing I, a half I, two weeks before is different. Perfect. Yeah. I totally, sure I totally make, agree. Yeah, I'm sure people make a decision based on how competitive they think they'll be at Daytona and, you know, That's true. in the whole thing. So, yeah. No, I, 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 I agree. Sometimes. No, no. And especially when there's been no racing or hardly any racing all year. Um, apart from, I mean, the great thing about the States is you've, you've had a couple of um, really cool PTO uh, sponsored events or, or um, yeah, sponsored events that that yeah. have gone have gone ahead, which has been great. I know we're we've got one coming here, a mm-hmm. PTO event, and they've had several overseas in in Europe, which has been fantastic for the athletes to at least have a race with with some decent prize money um, attached. Yeah. But for majority of athletes, you're right, like yourselves, um, some haven't raced all year, so it's it's going to be very very interesting. And um, I'm definitely looking forward to the race. I can't wait. Can't wait. Yeah, we're excited too. It'll be fun. But um, listen, guys, thank you so much for your time. I, I told you I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to take too much time, but you know, I you get me going, and it's almost impossible to, for me to stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, we could talk forever too. So, no, that's awesome. We appreciate oh. you talking to us first on your on oh, this whole no. series. No, so that's hey, really cool. You're defending- Defending champ, come on! I mean, that's a yeah, good deal. Right. Uh, I love it. <laughs> not too many, people, not too many people can say that. I mean, this is what this will be the third edition of Challenge at Daytona, so it's um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's yeah. awesome. You're, um, love it. Cool. But, we'll, um, we'll see yeah. you there, right? You'll be there. You will. I will. Okay. I'm, I'm right. making the ridiculously long journey over, but uh, it's yeah, it's one of those things again. Long way to go and a lot of logistics involved. I've um I've worked it out that if my flight back is delayed by longer than one day, then I'm spending quarant- uh, Christmas in quarantine. So we don't we definitely do not want that situation. Oh really. no! Yeah, <laughs> you need to leave right I, away. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I've got a flight out of Orlando on the Monday morning that gets me back okay. to Australia on the Wednesday, which then gets me out of quarantine on the 23rd of December, and I have a domestic wow. flight home. So yes, it's um, wow. it's going to be That's an interesting time for me. But <laughs> that sounds like perfect timing. Where, yeah, it is. If everything goes right, it's perfect timing. But I've already um, I've already discussed with my husband that if if things don't go as planned, um, and it looks like I will be spending Christmas in quarantine, that I just actually won't get on that plane in LA. I'll I'll spend Christmas in the states. 
Yeah, right. Like, this was in LA. Plenty of free. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it's not that bad. And you know, so we'll see. I like like you guys with the racing, you don't just have plan A B, you've got to have plan A, B, C, D, and E this year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. No kidding. Oh cool. well listen, good luck with your training. Stay fit oh, and stay healthy. And um I cannot wait to see you both very, very soon in uh, in yeah. Daytona. Yeah, yeah we're looking forward to it. Thank you so much for chatting. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Bye. 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 Take care. Thanks for listening to the official Challenge Family podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a review. We're just loving your enthusiasm. And next to that, it will also help other people to find the podcast. The making of this podcast would not be possible without the help of the Professional Triathletes Organization, Challenge North America, and our amazing partners, Power Bar, Otso, Sport No Limit Group, Lubos Billick Training and Soul for Souls. But for now, thanks for listening and I'll be back soon for another coffee.